Good afternoon, and welcome to not Wednesday afternoon, as uh, Greg <laughs> thought it might be for just a moment. You can you can't blame a guy for hoping and trying, McGarry. Yeah, and uh, well, well, it's funny is when you said it, mm-hmm. I thought, oh yeah, it's Wednesday. Oh no, and I- then I very quickly realized, no wait, hang on a second. It is Tuesday. I'm excited that it's Tuesday. It's it's Rogue One Day. What does that mean? Star Wars Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is available on Blu-ray and DVD today. So I'm excited about that. It's been available on digital HD for a couple of weeks. That's if you buy it on Google Play or iTunes or whatever. But I still like to have that hard copy. Yeah, I like to have you're, the you're disc. Dif- you're, well, I'm going to say you're different like that. You're different from me like that. I don't think you're different from a lot of people. I think a lot of folks like to have that physical copy just like you get to like to get a physical copy of that ticket in the mail but don't you prefer when the cop hands it to you i prefer to not get it at all (laughs) if you have to have if you have to have the choice if you had to accept one or the other what what do you prefer do you do you like the it's not a public shaming but you know you're going about your business you're having a great day you go to check the mail you might get a I don't know, maybe you get a check from your grandma for your birthday or late Christmas present. You get a bill, and then you get a $300 ticket from the city because you're parked somewhere you shouldn't have been. And this will be brand new because typically you can only get a photo radar ticket for a moving violation. Now you can get a ticket for being in one place, the wrong place, for too long. Okay. Be aware. Park with care. I, I'm a little bit bothered by this whole idea of photo enforcement for parking. I don't know; it bugs me. I, I want to see the I want to see the ticket underneath my windshield. You'd rather just come back to your car, yep. have the ticket. Yep. Why, why does it bother you? I don't know. And I, I don't. I, I hope that doesn't sound confrontational. No, no. I'm, I'm just legit, genuinely curious. I'm not sure why it bothers me so much, but overall, it feels like. As I mentioned during spring break, more of a cash grab than enforcement to get us to change our habits. Maybe the mere threat of getting a $300 ticket. I don't know. I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. That's my immediate reaction Mm -hmm. to the idea of having photo enforcement attached to parking issues. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I would react if I were to receive a, a parking ticket in the mail. On one hand, it would be... I mean, it would obviously be annoying for a number of reasons. I'd be annoyed with myself for having done something wrong. It would also be annoying that, well, you know, because it almost feels kind of like chicken. I I don't know if that's the right word. That's the word that came up in the newsroom from one of our colleagues right away. Oh, that's kind of chicken, isn't it? To to send it by mail instead of have someone just do it? Yes. Now... In the case of a handicapped parking spot, I think it's lame anybody that parks in one that doesn't have the right to do so. So I, I have zero problem with nailing people on that one. The fire lanes in front of the superstore and in front of the shopping center and stuff, and I see people not observing those all the time. That drives me nuts. Yeah. That drives me Nuts. See, this is why we talk these things out, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other infraction that they're going to be cracking down on has to do with parkings, no parking areas around schools, especially around pickup time, uh, where schools, school buses are involved and whatnot. So I may be talking myself out of the whole thing <laughs> as I talk it out. But that, like I said, that was my immediate 
emotional reaction was like, come on, why do you have to do this? Like, if I do something wrong, like you say, if I'm doing something like that, I know that I'm doing it wrong. I'm rolling the dice. I, I don't do that, though, with that kind of stuff. Well, with the speed, sometimes a little bit faster than I should. But in terms of definitely in terms of par- parking a handicap, that's something. No, 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 no. I never, ever do that. Okay. Well, what about speeding tickets? Do you ever speed? Yeah, I've, I've, I've had a couple. Okay. Yep. And do you, have you ever been given a traffic ticket for other violations? Like, I don't know, like uh, being in a diamond lane or something like that. No. Okay. Turning left when I shouldn't because I misread the sign. That was one. And, of course, I've had the dreaded uh, handheld device ticket, okay, which I didn't like very much. Well, you spotted on Twitter that one of our, one of our old friends, our dear friends, had something happen to her. What happened? Well, why don't we bring her on the air and find out? Holly Bosman, our former colleague, a voice on Power 97 for a long time, a radio legend in these parts, and now just good friend. Holly, when I saw your... Twitter machine going off yesterday. I couldn't believe my eyes, and I can only imagine what it was like for you being in your car. Tell us the story. Uh, what happened to you yesterday afternoon? Well, hello, Greg and Brett. It's good to talk to you guys. It's been a while. Uh, but yes, yeah, I was on my way home from work, um, and I turned off of Dunkirk onto Fermor on my way home. And the very first road you come up to on there is a right turn, and there's a sign there that says no right turn between 3.30 and 5.30. In the five years I've lived in that area, I have never been down that road, but all of a sudden there's an ambulance coming up behind me. Now, if you've ever been on that section of Fermore, there's no shoulders. There's a curb on either side. There's nowhere for traffic to go. My front tires were just past that road to turn right. The guy behind me in the minivan, he cranked a right. He got out of the way. So I turned my car in reverse so the people in the left lane could move over to the right and make way for the ambulance. I turned, I took, the, I backed up six feet, Took the right turn. There's a cop sitting there at the corner waiting to ticket people who are coming down there. He pulled me over right at the corner, and he wrote me a $203 ticket. So, Holly, what happened when you explained to him, hey. He didn't even want to hear it. He wouldn't let me explain. I said to him, I said there was an emergency vehicle. I was trying to get out of the way of the ambulance. He goes, you backed up. And I'm like, exactly. That shows that I had no intent of coming down here until an emergency vehicle presented itself. And he wanted nothing to do with it. He goes, you know why I'm here? Because residents are complaining that people are using this turnoff as a shortcut during rush hours so they can avoid that intersection. And he wouldn't let me explain. And I just basically shut down at that point because I was going to say something I was going to regret. Wow. So you say it's a $203 ticket. $203 ticket. And I don't even know how many points are involved with that. I bet you it's two, a minimum of two, Holly. Well, and I'm not taking him. I'm going to fight this. And then, oh, get this. He tells me, I tell him I'm going to fight it. And then he went and increased my fine. Excuse me? Yeah. He wrote, I don't know what the original number was. I never got a chance to look at it. But when he came back and handed me the pink portion of the ticket, he said, oh, I was going to give you a decreased fine, but I'm not allowed to do that. So let me change the fine. So then he goes back and changes it. Wow. Had anybody else been pulled over at that moment or in the, in the recent moment? Not, not the minivan that went that turned the corner in front of me. He waved him through. So somebody so had driven straight through. Up. What's that? Someone had driven straight through, but you got pulled over. Yes. Yeah, the guy that was behind me in the minivan that made that other right turn, he waved him through, but because I backed up to get out of the way, he thought that warranted me a ticket. I'm, I'm livid. And my blood is boiling right now, like just talking about it. I get 
so bad. Like, I don't go down that street. I see the sign on the law-abiding citizen. I have, I'm currently working a job that I recently had to get a driver's abstract for. My driver's abstract is clean. There's nothing on it. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I pay my taxes, and I work my butt off trying to pay my bills, which are all caught up. But this guy's going to give me a $203 ticket for trying to do what I was taught was right. My grandfather, my uncle, my brother, they're all firefighters. They're all war firefighters. One of my cousins is an EMT. I have lots of friends who are EMTs, but I just want to get out of their way. They're trying to save somebody's life. I'm just trying to get home. And it wasn't more convenient for me to take that right turn. It was actually more inconvenient for me to take that turn. Yeah, because then you you have to fight your way back out. Exactly. I have to get back onto St. Mary's and then get back to Fermor and whatnot. It was it was a pain in my butt to get out of there. And then I've got these angry pink tickets sitting on my seat beside me. Holly, this sort of reminds me of a situation where I was on Carleton. Uh, I want to say between St. Mary and York, I think. It was either, it was, let's say between Graham and York. And so it's about 4.30 in the afternoon on a weekday. And we're not moving because there was something there was somebody who was illegally parked up ahead. So it's gridlock already. And then there's a fire truck behind us that needs to get through. So people are having to drive up on the curbs, on the sidewalk. The rules don't apply as far as I'm concerned. If, if, it, exactly. if a fire truck or ambulance has to get through. So the fact that you got a ticket here, you got hosed, Holly. So uh, totally you fight this. You fight this. I'm going to. And I've already talked to my boss and he said he'll give me a morning off when I need a morning off. Because you can't even go down and fight it now. You have to wait the two months. I think it's June 13th before I can even address this. And then if I plead not guilty, it's a court date that's another year and a half down the road. And it's just going to waste more taxpayer dollars. And it makes me angry. (laughs) Well, it hangs over you, right, Holly? Because then it hangs over you for that entire period of time. Exactly. I can't just deal with it and get it over with. I have to deal with this now for the next year and a half to two years of my life and waste a whole bunch more taxpayer money. And I hate governments that waste money. So Sorry, I'm I know, angry. you know what, and it's 21 hours later, and I can only imagine how furious you were yesterday because you didn't even tweet about it afterwards. I, no, I tweeted about it as it was happening. Yeah, I know. But my uh, car was parked. Yeah. I had it in park, and my car was off, so I wasn't driving illegally. Sure. I yeah, I tweeted about it after it happened, and then I went home and. The old man got an earful, and he's like, okay, don't yell at me. I'm like, sorry, I'm just mad. <laughs> and Holly, so re- refresh my memory here. You uh, you said you were uh, on Dunkirk. You were heading uh, presumably southbound on Dunkirk when you turned yeah, on to Fermore? Southbound on Dunkirk, turn, made the turn onto Fermore with the two lanes there, and I was in the right-hand lane. So and he was trying YMCA to tell me that the reason he gave me the ticket was because I was in the right-hand lane, and I shouldn't have to move. Well, where are the people in the left-hand lane going to go? Yeah. There's no shoulder. There's nowhere for anyone to pull over. The curbs are eight inches high, and if I tried to go up it with my car, I would have destroyed something. Sounds like you had a beyond a reasonable story to tell, one that could, that could have been told quite easily if you were dealing with someone that was prepared to listen to you. Oh, and he just gave me the story about, oh, the residents here are, are upset, and, and people are using this as a shortcut. You know what? I get that. That's awesome. I love that you're doing that, but I also drive a delivery vehicle during the day, and do you know how many people I see on their cell phones? Why aren't you stopping them? Right. 
I mean, that sign, no right turn into that little neighborhood. And for those that aren't familiar that maybe pass through, you've got on the left with the old St. Vitale Mustangs field, there's a soccer field there, there's a YMCA, and there's a, a school there. I think it's Glenlawn Collegiate or, or Dakota, one of the two. Glenlawn uh, Collegiate is at the corner of St. Mary's and Fermoria. Okay, so it's Glenlawn. And then to the right, to the south, there's a little bay, right? There's a collection of bays and, and uh, streets uh, that are bordered. They're kind of locked in by Dunkirk. Uh, and St. Mary, and by Furmore, right? Yes. And so, yes, I could see that it would be awfully frustrating because I imagine there are people that are inclined to use that as a shortcut as opposed to going all the way to St. Mary's to turn right southbound that would use that as a shortcut. That sign has been there for decades to keep people out of that neighborhood. And so I understand why they would be set up there, but to not listen to your story is absolutely infuriating. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, you saw the ambulance go by. You heard the ambulance go by. I'm also, by the way, I'm on my horn because I saw it coming before it even turned on the firmware. I had my window cracked, my music wasn't loud, and I heard it. I heard it, and then I saw it, and I started getting on my horn. Like, people, wake up. Wake up. we got to get, like, we got to move. So I'm trying to get other people to move and get out of the ambulance way so they can do their job, but I get a ticket for getting out of the way. I'm just... Well, Holly, your your frustration is uh, palpable and and fully understood. I would feel the same way, and yeah, and even as you mentioned, the frustration of having to wait because I have whenever I get the last time I got a speeding ticket, I was I remember thinking, God, I I can't I have to wait for three months because it says yeah. you you can go to the magistrate between whatever time and whatever time. So I. It, you're, it, it is. It's a cloud that hangs over you, and it's. it just will add to your frustration. So thank you for telling us your story, and good for you for being prepared to fight this rather than and just Thank you guys over. for talking to me and let people know that they can break laws when an emergency vehicle is behind you. From everything I've been taught, I've even asked officers about this in the past, and they're like, if somebody gives you a ticket for getting out of the way for an emergency vehicle, they're an idiot. I agree. You lived, it. you lived it. We uh, won't cast aspersions uh, of the idiot type, but that uh, uh, really touches on it if it doesn't uh, break into uh, idiocy without uh, without too much effort. Let's put it that way. Thanks, Holly. And we Thank will you. keep touch with you on this and, and find out what the next step is. Let us know when you uh, get a court date on this. I will do. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Holly. And thanks for doing your best uh, to keep everyone involved safe. I, that I, oh, that bothers me when people are doing the right thing and they get nabbed for something because there's so many people intent on doing the wrong thing that never get caught. I was on driving on Academy. I had just come off of the St. James Bridge, so going southbound on Route 90, and then you turn off to to turn left onto Academy, and I was uh, it, there was a red light, a few cars in front of me, so I'm heading eastbound on Academy now. There's the Red light at Lanark. Yes. So there's the little strip mall to your right. Mm-hmm. So there's we're in the the median lane, and then there's cars parked in the curb lane. Mm-hmm. Guy on a motorcycle behind me goes between our lane and the parked cars to get to the front of the line. So he's in <coughs> driving in between the the car the moving vehicles and the parked vehicles. That's the kind of stuff that people get away with being a total jerk. And making it making life difficult for other motorcycle drivers who are obeying the laws, but people see that and then they think, ah, motorcycle drivers. Uh, so you, that when you see stuff like that, and he gets away with it, 
Holly tries to do the right thing, get out of the way of an emergency vehicle, gets pulled over, and gets a ticket. Text messages are piling up stories and commentary about the fact that you'll be able to get a photo ticket for several parking infractions in the city and have that ticket mailed to you and reaction to Holly's situation. We'll take a break. We'll update you on the weather forecast and get to your comments at 780-6868. It's Greg and Brett. It's Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. We have a lot of people on the phones. We're talking, just the quick recap in case you were just tuning in. We just spoke with Holly Bosman, one of our former colleagues here and good friend. And she got pulled over yesterday and ticketed for turning right on a no right turn street during rush hour because she was trying to get out of the way of an emergency vehicle. And the officer who pulled her over... What had enough, didn't want to hear any of it, just gave her the ticket, and then she says actually bumped up her fine when she said she was going to fight it. Daniel is at 204-780-6868. Daniel, what do you think about this? Well, it's shocking, but I have an even more shocking story. You're not going to believe this. And I, I, Should I mention names or no names mentioned at all? Uh, leave, leave names out of it, Daniel. Okay. Uh, my wife and I were coming back from a funeral last February, and we were, all of a sudden we see the lights flashing behind us. And they stopped us and pulled us into the Boston Pizza parking lot on Henderson. Oh, I shouldn't mention. Sorry, whatever. Anyways. That's fine. Oh, that's that's okay. fine. That's a land. That's just you're identifying where you are. That's fine, Daniel. Okay. The officer started screaming at my wife, literally screaming, uh, that the vehicle wasn't registered and we didn't have insurance. And he went on and on and he said to take the plates off your vehicle. They're personalized plates. And all that was most disconcerting. We didn't have no idea what was going on. And I said, well, we have a chemotherapy treatment for my beloved wife who passed on November 16, I said, we can't miss the chemotherapy treatment. She has to be there at Concordia, Concordia, oh, Concordia Hospital, anyways, oncology clinic. Anyways, I, she was so distraught that she walked into the, into the pizza, Boston Pizza, to make some phone calls because we had no idea what was going on. And we know that, uh, believe it or not, we have for 47 years, my wife had her insurance paid every month by, throughout the MPI from her account. And they made a mistake because they're, they're trying to put a stop payment on API. And by mistake, stop the NPI. By mistake, the bank. Oh, no. So that, we were never notified by anybody. And then two weeks later, we were stopped and, we're, and we were charged with drive with, with registration suspended and drive without motor vehicle liability insurance. So to make a long story short, we called the insurance company that dealt with us on Henderson. They rectified the matter in 10 minutes. They admitted they made a mistake. They even sent a letter to me about a month later saying they take full responsibility. They should have done, you know, they, they didn't cross the uh, T's and dot the I's. They made a mistake. And the bank has now taken full responsibility. But they put my wife through a living hell. And she was going through chemotherapy treatments, and he wouldn't stop screaming and swearing at my wife. Gee whiz. Daniel, I'm sorry to do this. I do need to put you on hold. I would like to continue this conversation if we can, but we do need to pause for Global News at 1.30. The number to call, 204-780-6868. And I will just quickly point out, we have sent a message to Winnipeg Police to ask if they can comment or respond, given that Holly has declared her intentions to fight this. She may or may not be, police may or may not be able to, to comment, but the request is in. It's Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry with you on this Tuesday afternoon. It's uh, getting a little heated in here after Holly shared her story. We've got all sorts of stories coming in by phone and by text. We want to get to the phones right away. So without further ado, I want to say good afternoon to Jesse. Good afternoon, Jesse. Thank you for your patience. We appreciate it and we look forward to hearing your story. 
Yeah, how are you? Just uh, enjoying the beautiful afternoon, and how are you guys doing? We're doing great. I'm guessing you have a story uh, that uh, of frustration that involves getting a ticket? Yeah, actually, it's a strange story. Yeah, what happened was um, I was actually on uh, westbound Leela just before Pipeline, and I was uh, unfamiliar with the area, so I was relying on my GPS, and my GPS stated that speed limit is 60, so I was driving around uh, 64, you know, and right away, as soon as um, I see a cop, he was hiding behind a tree, and he pulls me over. He's like, you're speeding. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you're uh, doing 64 in the 50 zone. I'm like, well, uh, my GPS states it's a 60 over here. Mm. So but he pulled me over, gave me a ticket, and that was the end of it. Did you, inf- did you ever confirm that it was a 50, or was it uh, a 60 zone? Well, I confirmed that just before pipeline, it's 50, but after that, it's 60. So I was a little bit like 500 meter off, and my GPS was saying it was 60. But the cop was being a really nice guy. You know, he uh, he looked at my GPS, he saw it, that it said 60, and I showed him a photo and everything. And he just told me, he's like, you know what, just uh, go explain yourself and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, and here, <laughs> you're not going to like me very much, uh, Jesse, for saying this. But someone once yep. said this to me, and it's it, it's it as as unhappy as I was to receive this advice, uh, yep. it, it has stuck with me. What is the speed when you there's no posted sign in the city? It's fifty. Yeah, I know fifty. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like I said, I wasn't familiar with the area, and I was told you're lying on my GPS. Yeah, uh, you know, like considering the technology nowadays, like you know, it's pretty advanced. Yeah, but GPS but will tell it, you to you drive into I mean? a lake if they—they're not always. You can't rely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesse, it's a good story. Yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> Did you end up getting off the ticket? Oh uh, well, I'm still fighting for it, so it's going to be. Uh, I think uh, the date is uh, 2018. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we'll be talking to you in 2021 about this still. <laughs> Jesse, th- <laughs> <All right. laughs> appreciate you sharing that with us because, yeah, technology can let you down without question. I marvel at how much it knows, but I also know that the GPS on my wife's car still thinks that Springfield Road goes all the way from La Jumodière to Henderson Highway unimpeded. Even though it acknowledges the existence of Chief Pegwis Trail, <laughs> it tells you to turn right out of our bay that leads you to a dead end. The GPS thinks Springfield Road is still the most expedient route to Henderson Highway, yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and Jesse, again, I'm just being uh, being a smart aleck with you, uh, because like I remember when well, somebody said rule. that to me, it's a good I wanted to slap them, but they were right. <laughs> Todd is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Todd, uh, what do you have to say about this? Well, if Holly's still listening, I'd like her to know that it's perfectly legal to, di- to disobey a traffic control device under various circumstances, including when clearing the road for an emergency vehicle. And the Crown will not pursue this ticket, and shame on this officer for for not exercising that discretion. And I'll give you an example, not unlike my own red light running ticket at 4 a.m. a couple of years ago, when our daughter was about to be born in the in the front seat, and I was on the way to the hospital. I simply went down to the, responded to the ticket, 
by taking the, those birth records down there, and they, of course, immediately voided it. So Holly really has nothing to worry about, but the Winnipeg police should properly respond and void this ticket and, and, and not have her have to consume any time and worry about uh, challenging such a ticket. Todd, you make a great point because so much of the frustration is the time involved in fighting these things, even though you're right, quite often people will decide to pay the fine because they can't afford the time off work to fight these things. And they know that. And and they know that 95% of the people will simply write a check. They're going to swear while writing it, but they're going to do it, and they're going to put it in the mail, and that's the end of the matter. There's no downside. I'll tell you what. In fact, there's an upside. The officer that wrote that ticket... um, has a good chance if Holly pleads not guilty of going to trial at $600 overtime on an off day uh, to stand there and to make a weak case for it. Of course, it'll be thrown, but he'll still get paid. So, you know, they write a lot of garbage tickets and I hate to say it, but there's a, there's an upside to it. And I just described it for you. So the, so the, uh, the theory that you've presented is that the officers are writing tickets that will land them in traffic court where they can claim overtime pay. If I, is that what I understood yeah, that's, there? That's absolutely been occurring for for decades in this in this city, and and uh, and, and they'll be blunt with you about that. They'll hand you a ticket that uh, they don't agree with. They'll say, "Well, hey, look, just plead guilty. You don't like the ticket, plead guilty." They're very happy to go to court. You know, when these when these constables, level four constables, a ninety three thousand dollars salary, and you you read the disclosure records in the city of Winnipeg where they're making one hundred and sixty five and one hundred and sixty eight thousand, the way they're doing that is through traffic court. When they're sitting in there, they're literally making six hundred dollars a day, and uh, they don't mind doing it. Todd, thank you for this uh, insight that a lot of us. Uh, suspect is the case, and you are telling in an eloquent fashion from your point of view. Thank you kindly. Good job, guys. All right. There's Todd. Appreciate that, Todd. Thank you very much for... Thank you for verbalizing that thought. And I want to thank Darcel, who actually took the time to open up a driver's manual, take a photo of it that backs up everything that we've been discussing and says you can absolutely do what is necessary within reason, with caution, in order to get out of the way of an emergency vehicle, including going through a red light. And we should recap, just in case you're tuning in, uh, Holly Bosman, our former colleague here at Chorus Radio Winnipeg, worked at Power 97 for many years, one of the great voices of Winnipeg Radio. And she was driving yesterday. She was heading southbound on Dunkirk, where she turned on to Furmore. She turned left onto Furmore, and then not long after that, she had to get out of the way of an emergency vehicle that was coming up behind her, so she backed up to turn right, so she could turn right on, is the street Killarney? I'm it, not, is, it is Killarney, if I'm not mistaken. I think he used to deliver milk on that street of back course in the day. <laughs> um, and it's a, you can't turn right there during rush hour, but... She had to get out of the way of an emergency vehicle. I don't think anybody would have thought wrong of it. I've seen people drive their trucks onto sidewalks to get out of the way of fire trucks. But there was a police officer there waiting for people to turn right, and he gave her a ticket regardless of the explanation. Uh, at text, and then we'll go to Ryan, who's been waiting patiently. Uh, good afternoon, Eminem. This is from our friend Jan on text. My thoughts on fighting this unreasonable ticket. I really do believe that WPS don't bank on the fact 
that majority of people will fight this kind of thing. Well, sometimes they pick on the wrong person. Happened to me to make it short. I appealed the ticket and was thrown out. I think most people just don't want to go through the hassle because it is a hassle. Thanks, guys. Jan. Ryan is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Ryan, what do you have to say? Hey, a hassle it absolutely is. I was coming off uh, Main Street a few years ago, coming around by the Winter Club there. There's a set of lights, and I saw a guy sitting there in a long winter jacket, freezing cold day, you know, wiring his other guy, whatever. I'm, I'm looking for paperwork to get my taxes done, etc. Well, I get pulled over as I come around the corner by the uh, Winter Club, and the guy didn't ask. I had a phone, nothing. And it just came up, gave me a ticket. I said, what's this about? So he explained this for a phone. There was a guy over there, and he goes, listen, if you have time in your day to go and try and get this taken care of, head down. So I did. I went down to Broadway, whatever, 373 Broadway, whatever it is, and uh, set up an appointment for a year and a bit later until I finally got in. And I had to face these two guys, and I fought it, I fought it, I fought it. And finally, the crown, the one guy goes, so he goes, what do these guys have to gain out of this? Well, what they've got to gain is they're getting overtime. I'm not. So really, it was a lose-lose for me, period. There's there's no winning whatsoever. Yeah, that makes it frustrating when, when you feel and, as though you've got to give something up, whether you're innocent or guilty. If you're guilty, you pay the ticket. And even sometimes when you're guilty, you feel like fighting the ticket. But there's a cost to doing that. To doing that, and there's no cost to the system. Those involved in the system, in fact, uh, could be profiting from the process. Exactly. Right. That's exactly what I think was happening right there. Those guys were getting uh, overtime. I wasn't. So win-win for them. I mean, they stood there. Big deal. Came down to see, uh, be a part of this for half an hour of their day, and it cost me, and it's uh, just a gain for them. So. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan, appreciate the, we appreciate the story at seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Tyler is on the line. What is your story, Tyler? Uh, I got a ticket for having license plates on my car. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Tyler. Kidding. That's the hook. Give us the story. <laughs> I knew you'd want to hear this one. Um, I uh, I have a car that I built from scratch. It's a classic car. I only use it for car shows. I only drive it in the summer. Uh, the rest of the season, I have it under what's called storage insurance, and it's it's in my garage. And this particular year, I was running out of room in my garage. So in the fall, just this past fall, um, I was moving it to a storage facility from my house. And I went to MPI, and I did what was right. Uh, it only had storage insurance. So I, I said, you know, what do I need to do? Do I reinsurance? And the girl at MPI said, uh, no, like, actually, what you can do is just get a temporary permit for, I think it was like 35 bucks. And it lasts you for three days, and that way, you know, you have more than enough time. Like, it was only an hour away that I had to drive. And she didn't tell me anything else. And, I mean, you know, I'm like most people. I, like, I, I don't have every rule book memorized as far as insurance and driving and everything is concerned. Like, so I just said, okay, thank you very much. I grabbed my permit. She said, make sure you display it in the window, which I did. And I grabbed some tape, and I taped it to the window. And I'm passing through downtown, and the police pulled me over, and... I said, what's, what's the issue? And they said, you have no insurance in your car. And I said, well, I said, here's the receipt. Here's all the paperwork. I just bought it 30 minutes ago. And uh, they came back with a ticket for 150 some odd dollars and said, uh, you're not allowed to have plates in your vehicle. You have to take the plates off your car. And I'd never heard of this in my life. And not only that, but like, 
why would anyone want to take plates off your car? I mean, how, how are they going to get you on a red light camera ticket? How if, you know what I mean, if the car is stolen or how is anybody going to identify you without license plates in your car? Like, it was the most stupidest thing I ever heard of. And I said, I never heard of that. And it wasn't explained to me. And just like everyone else that's called in, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't care. Um, ticket was rolled up so fast. It was doled out faster than you could throw a Frisbee. So. Did you end up fighting it, Tyler? Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to, but my court date isn't until August of 2018. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, Tyler, good for you for taking that to court because you're right. Uh, there's no way for if if I'm a police officer and I'm driving behind, it sounds like this is a nice automobile and there's no plates on it. The first thing I'm going to think is that's a stolen car and I'm going to pull it over. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway. Well, part of the problem here is, and this has been a beef of mine, is that there are vehicles that are allowed, for whatever reason, to drive without license plates with a temporary permit. Uh, motorcycles are allowed to do it. Vehicles are allowed to do it. And instead of just issuing temporary license plates in those situations, so everyone is on the same playing field, and so that a, an officer can run the plate and then go, oh, that's a temporary uh, and then be done with it. We go through situations like you've been through, Tyler. Well, the thing that bugged me the most is wouldn't the biggest concern be that if he pulled up on his computer that there wasn't insurance and now he's verified that there in fact is and the situation has been explained to him and he could have just gone, oh, okay, good. Like we got proof here that you have insurance. Just so you know, for next time, take your plates off. If you have a screwdriver handy, you can do it now. And then just send me on my way. Like, why give me a $150 ticket? Like, it just, it seems like such a petty, petty, petty thing to do, you know? And no one in my 25 years of driving, I have never once, I mean, I've had a few tickets, I'm not going to lie, but I have never heard of anyone getting a brake cut at any point in time. And that, to me, is something that you could easily cut someone a break for and educate them at the same time. And instead it just, it just doesn't matter. Like they just, the traffic division of the police just at this point, they just don't seem to care anymore. And it's just ridiculous. And I, and I, you know what? I applaud everyone that's phoning in and everyone that's fighting a ticket because I think people at this point in time are getting fed up. They're getting absolutely fed up and it's time for us to fight back. Well, and I think, and thank you, thank you so much for your call, Tyler. We appreciate it. I think the fact that it's taking, that his court date is in August of 2018 is a sign that maybe there are too many people going to traffic court and there are too many tickets being issued. And we got a great text message with a suggestion from somebody that we are going to read to you after your forecast. And we will also point out, people are asking, well, why don't you ask the police if they can respond. The request is in, and we are going to try to get them to come on, but, uh, you know, if, if this ends up being a thing that goes before the courts, they might not be able to, but we'll see. We've, we've put a request in with the Winnipeg Police. Your forecast is coming up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. We're talking about a situation involving our former colleague, Holly Bosman, who was pulled over yesterday and given a ticket for turning on a street where she's not allowed to turn right during rush hour, but she did so to get out of the way of an emergency vehicle and says that the officer in question didn't want to hear any of that. We will tell you that we have reached out to Winnipeg Police and we have sent them the interview so they can hear it for themselves and we're hoping to hear a response from them on this. In the meantime, we've been getting your thoughts. Uh, 204-780-6868. Lou is on the line Hi, with how us. Are you? Hello, Lou. What is your story? 
I have a very brief story. I was heading to school and I had a truck full of uh, gift baskets. I must have 25 gift baskets. And uh, they were all on top of my purse. And inside my purse, of course, my wallet, I had my registration. I had my license. Well, very conveniently, I was pulled uh, aside by the police and um, they asked for my documentation. Well, they can scan uh, on their computer and see that I have a valid license and I have a valid registration. I told the officer, uh, will you allow me to remove maybe eight baskets, gift baskets, and my purse is there and I can reach for it and give you your documentation that you were asking me for. No, no, he couldn't bother. No, he wasn't interested. Uh, He proceeded to give me a ticket, didn't put any... um, uh, there were two tickets. One was uh, I failed to prove uh, that I had a registered car and I failed to show my license. And of course, he says you can take it to court. I did fight it. And the way you fight it is by going uh, down to Broadway. You ask for an appointment for night court and you go down to the main um, court, uh, court, uh, and that's on York Street, uh, maybe a year later or so. And the officer was there waiting. And, um, you know, uh, he had a buddy with him. The buddy didn't show. And um, obviously the lawyers want you to plead immediately there and and settle for some reduced amount. I said, no, I'm going to take it before the judge. Uh, The judge threw it out. Lou, thank you for sharing that story. We appreciate it. And Greg, I know you've got something you want to point out. I just quickly want to mention the text that I said I would read. It's from from Ryan, who says, Hey guys, perhaps if a ticket is bogus, or if the person is proven innocent, maybe it's time that it's time to turn it around and the fine should be paid by the officer who wrote it. That's a bit of an extreme suggestion, but it's an interesting one. Well, I've made this argument with regard to challenging goals in the National Hockey League, two different things, but I've suggested that just losing your time out when you challenge a goal in the NHL and you're proven wrong when you challenge it isn't enough of a deterrent. I've said you need to get a penalty, a two-minute delay of game penalty, if you're wrong for challenging a goal that you say there was goaltender interference or offside on there, there's just it's it's a no-lose situation when you're challenging this yeah. sort of thing and uh, the same here i got a text message from a listener from jeff he says uh, Tra- highway traffic act doesn't really endorse you going through a red light or a stop sign in fact it does and it says that in fact that you must proceed through a red light or stop sign with caution to clear the way if you are approached from behind by an emergency vehicle. It just got to go a little bit further, deeper into the uh, driver's handbook. It's a, been a great conversation, lots more text messages uh, that we couldn't get to. Maybe we'll get to them later on. I think we'll have to revisit this conversation likely tomorrow. And I just received a response from Winnipeg Police. They just said thank you. They have the audio and they are looking into it. So perhaps we'll have a chat with them. Them tomorrow or sometime later this week. It is Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. It's live radio. Brett McGarry stepping out of the studio for a few moments to speak with Winnipeg Police about our discussions, the different topics that came to light during our last hour of discussion. For the next half hour, I am thrilled to welcome to the studio two new friends of mine. And uh, Margie Nelson is here. She's representing the Movement Center and Alan Jacks of the Knowledge Bureau. We're here to talk about Winstock, the 2017 edition. Is this the 13th 
version, Mr. Jacks? It's, yeah, 13 long, hard years. We started it uh, back in 2005 and uh, didn't even know whether we we're going to make any money that year. It was a white-knuckle uh, event, and uh, it managed to make us about $23,000 that first year that we tried it, and we thought we might be onto something here. Well, and apparently you are, because uh, what do you have, over $800,000 at this point? Yes, we're at 880000 We were trying to get to the million-dollar mark. We're still uh, clawing and, and begging to, uh, to try and get more sponsors on board to, uh, to take us over that million-dollar cumulative raise. Now, for those that have heard of Winstock, why don't you tell us what it is? Well, it's a, it's a battle of the bands. It originally started as a, a battle of the bands for the financial services sector. You had to be in the financial services to put a band together. And uh, colleagues and competitors got together, formed a band, and uh, uh, competed on stage. Each of them do a half-hour set. And we have celebrity judges come in and uh, uh, talk about their performances and give them a bit of a critique and then vote on who the, the best band is. It's uh, now morphed to, uh, we've expanded it to include the accounting field as well as the real estate sector. So uh, it's broadening out to a business services uh, battle of the bands. And so the idea is obviously to raise money for worthwhile organizations who are doing incredible work on our community. And last year and this year, it was the Movement Center. And Margie Nelson is here. She established this center. And Margie, the reason you did this is such a powerful story. Why don't you give us a little bit of a history lesson of and about the Movement Center. Sure. Uh, back in January 1989, my husband John and I gave and I gave birth to twin boys, Bryce and Sean. They were born at 28 weeks gestation, so a wee bit early, by three months. At Bryce first born cerebral palsy. So um, at the time, I was a, a teacher, school teacher, and I had learned from one of Bryce's therapists, Kim Barthel, uh, about a very cool procedure called conductive education rehabilitation. And as a teacher, I liked the word education in there, so I pursued and loved the internet, Googled, and found out about conductive education that had uh, originated in in Hungary in the 1940s uh, by a neurologist out there. And um, the long and the short is summer of 1997, five weeks, $7,000 later, took Bryce to uh, a camp out there, um, a for-profit organization, and uh, came back with a... Uh, a little eight-year-old boy who uh, had a complete change of mindset and came home with an I-can-do-it attitude and um, and acquired some really great physical skills along the way. Uh, my husband, John, and I discussed the fact that um, this needed to be for all Manitobans, that um, families shouldn't have to leave home, leave the province, and um, have a, a lot of money in their wallet to help their um, child uh, progress and, and have a, you know, I know it's cliche, but, you know, that whole adage of better quality of life because that indeed is what conductive education has done for Bryce. So uh, a friend of mine, the late Ken Tasium, lawyer, um, helped me to form a registered charity, and we had our registered charity number by December of 97. Uh, record time, apparently. We held our pilot project March of 98, um, the conductors were uh, uh, Canadian work visas over from Hungary, uh, had the good fortune because of one of the uh, co-founders. Uh, her foster daughter was the relative of the uh, lieutenant governor at the time, Yvonne Dumont, and he allowed those uh, three conductors that came for the trial to stay at his home for three weeks while they were here. Um, had the pleasure of 
being introduced at that time uh, to many uh, wonderful people over at Government House. The Philmans were in power, met them, uh, had a wonderful time. And 2002, um, Mr. Bergen, the late now Mr. Martin Bergen, uh, approached actually my mom and dad at a barbecue. His wife had passed and said, what can I do to help? My mom, I am the chip off the old block, said, well, they need millions. He said, I'm not liquid, but I can build buildings. Do they need one of those? Well, we had been very gypsy-like. Oh, man. It turns out that was location number seven by the time we moved. (laughs) So... And what year is this? You started in 98. March 98 was our pilot. (laughs) We moved into this space June 2002, and it's been our forever home. Uh, It is a wonderful gift that the family continues to give. Uh, We could not afford to be in the space that we're in. We actually can't afford much anyways, as it is not being funded. Uh, But it is a wonderful, wonderful place that has allowed us to um, uh, operate six days a week. We serve almost 100 people a week. And that's our story. Alan, you and I have got to know each other a little bit over the last few weeks. And what is it about Margie's story and about the story of the Movement Centre of Manitoba that's captivated your imagination? And I know it's driving you to to make Winstock bigger and better every year. And, and this year is no exception. Well, uh, yes, uh, Greg, we, thank you. We, we started out uh, with, uh, with one charity and then we decided we'd do requests for proposals from charities. And we've been back and forth with Movement Centre and other charities over the years. But move, we keep going back to Movement Centre because of the, the work they do. And our, our driving passion uh, is to find Winnipeg children's charities, raise money for them, that are under the radar by under the radar, I mean they're not getting government funding. They have no national fundraising arm. They're people here that uh, are doing great things, and we want to help them to achieve the, those great things, to give them the resources to do great things. And the Movement Center uh, has come back and done requests for proposals, and they keep winning and winning. And finally, we just said, you know what? We love what you're doing. Every time we bring somebody down to to tour the Movement Center, they their their eyes are welling up. It's it's uh, it's it's that. Uh, a passion driving uh, uh, an experience. And so we've committed to the Movement Centre for the next three years so that they have uh, uh, some surety about the, the future funding. and uh, Which we're, we're gonna... really, you know, thankful for. Thank you, Al. Yes, well, it's uh, more than, more than uh, uh, thankful. You're, you're deserving this. So we, uh, we really love what you do, and uh, we're out there to raise, raise some big coin for you over the next three years with, uh, through Winstock. Can uh, I say yee yeah. Rock on. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll say all those things on Friday night. <laughs> yes, we how, will. How about that? Yes, we so, will. So, Margie, you did an eloquent job of explaining why you created and, and some of the challenges that you had in terms of real estate and creating the center. But could you paint a picture for us of what happens there? When I sure. was there a few Saturdays ago, uh, your son Bryce was there. He was doing his conductive education, and I love that terminology mm-hmm. as well. And you explained to me very well what the conductive education does and and how it benefits all your clients. Right. And, and maybe so, talk about and, the and different maybe, types of people that, that, that are eligible and, and are benefiting from the conductive education. Right. So first and foremost, I mean, there's a criteria to attending. Um, The reason being is it actually costs the center money every time somebody walks in the door because we don't charge a fee structure that pays for the service. And that is a deliberate, albeit very bad business decision, but it's a deliberate decision so that it can be affordable to families. Um, Disability is lifelong. Disability is not about finding a pill 
um, or or any kind of a cure. It's about having what you have and learning the coping mechanisms to work through what you have. In, in, in the case of my son and, and, and everybody that goes there, it's also then at some level to achieve some physical independence or at least, if nothing else, um, some independence of thought. So conductive education is a very holistic approach that combines a lot of the traditional therapies. So it really works very well in conjunction with, let's say, occupational therapy or physiotherapy or speech and language pathology therapy. Um, this is an all-encompassing uh, methodology that works with children and adults for either uh, all morning all afternoon or all day process. So I guess what's different about us is that we're a one-on-one with a facilitator, the conductor, and it is very intense. And it is about teaching the individual what they need to do in order to have, in, you know, in the case of a movement, a, a movement. In other words, my son Bryce can tell me exactly what he needs to do, shift weight, you know, pelvis forward, all these things that you and I don't think about when we just take a step. They, these individuals, whether they're verbal or not, are taught to say that action out loud, again, whether you're verbal or not, because you can say it in your head, and, you know, I take my left arm and I bend it. You know, everything's in the first person, and it's really to internalize. And really, like anything, I mean, repetitive, heck yes. So, you know, eventually, you know, things stick, and uh, to the point there, eventually, it becomes an automatic thought like it is for you and I. So we have, uh, let's say, for example, parent and child classes. So we're talking about baby with diagnosis of uh, a movement disability. There's a lot of diagnosis right now, uh, more so I think than even 20 years ago, of in utero strokes. Um, a lot of children, what would have been diagnosed with having cerebral palsy was indeed a stroke in mom in utero. So we have classes for that. We're really on that. We're teaching mom how to work with baby obviously, uh, to our eldest guy right now is 92, lives in a personal care home, had a stroke 15 years ago, and he still wants his independence. Um, you know, kudos to everybody, really, that that comes to the Movement Center because there's no secret. It's just hard work. It is hard work. And I have terrific facilitators, terrific staff to teach all those individuals, young and old, what they need to do to help their bodies to move. I know you have clients that have suffered uh, massive brain injury, yes. brain trauma, physical injury that is... Uh, oh, yes. I mean... You know, uh, almost unimaginable for a lot of us. For sure. You know, who, who can tell us what's worse? You know, being born um, with a disability or acquiring a disability. Um, in, in either case, the sad part and the reality for so many is the loneliness of what happens with that disability, uh, I can speak uh, with my son. There's a loneliness of not being part of the crowd to somebody, let's say, who's had a stroke or an acquired brain injury from a motor vehicle accident. Friends are around for a while and then they're not. And and um, that, is, that is obvious and I would suggest that um, most people who you speak to who've had any kind of a challenge like that within their family can speak to that loneliness um, for a lot of the disabled community and and a sidebar as it turns out of, of what happens at the movement center by sheer virtue of um, everybody being in a group environment is 
there's some pretty cool friendships that have started that probably never would have happened. And then the other beauty of that is for the caregiver, there's a lot of people, you know, sitting on our couch um, at our reception area. And next thing you know, they've formed a walking club and headed to a local coffee shop in between. And, and you know, they're talking about what they have in common. And that, that's, that's a beautiful thing, or, too, that I see. It becomes organic peer support. Totally. So with Winstock and, and you know, um, what has Winstock done for us? The first year we were involved with Winstock was 2006, and it raised $68,000 for us. That's a big, that's a lot of hot dogs for me to sell. So <laughs> was I happy that it was 68000 Heck yes. Okay, the next year it was the reverse. It was eighty six. And you know what? Those numbers have only gotten bigger. There was one blip. The market went bad, I think, in about 2008. Um, not so much a good year for anybody in the financial sector. Um, but it only continues to go up. And Winstock, the event, was the catalyst for the center to be able to expand our program. And actually, we were able to increase our client count by a third because it gave us that money, that cushion to go. We can hire a third conductor, a third facilitator. And because we get no funding, um, you know, it's it's really difficult to step out and do that and make that decision. And Winstock helped. And, and somebody somebody once said to me, you know, you better not rely on that. And I went, oh, yes, I do. Sorry. Yeah, yes, I do. I have a shortfall of over 600000 I have to find every year. And like Al and I were talking outside your booth here, somebody sends us an email or calls us, sorry, you're on our hit list. You are. <laughs> and we will continue. But you know what? You, you need only come and take a visit at the Movement Center and you'll see for yourself. Margie Nelson, a very passionate woman. She is the founder of the Movement Center, Alan Jacks from the Knowledge Bureau. He is the spearhead, the Living force behind Winstock 2017. We'll talk more about this event and how you can get involved when we return. A weather update is next. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, along with Margie Nelson and Alan Jacks. We're talking about Winstock 2017. It comes up Friday night. Starts at 530. Where are we going? Where am I meeting you, Al? We're going to Cowboys, Canadian Destination Center, Windsor Park. Windsor Park, I'm going to write Windsorian. that down. I gotta, hold on, oh, Windsor Park, i got to write that down. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. It'll be a great time. How many people can we fit in that room on Friday night? We, we sell a thing out every year. It's, uh, it's about 700 people uh, come to the event. And there's, there's always people at the last hour begging for tickets. And uh, uh, we usually keep a couple back for the Queen in case she happens to be in town. And I so think that's a good idea. If you, if you need tickets, we're, we're, we still have a few available. So uh, It's a great room for live music. I've seen oh, a number of shows the there. Best with in that, the city. With that uh, balcony they have, it's a great... Provides great viewing and well, lots sound. Of, lots of places to watch from. So if you're inspired and you'd like to come to Winstock, and we want you to come with a little bit of extra money, right? Because we've yes, got please. lots of prizes, lots of opportunities for you to donate and uh, reach in your pocket. Give us a call now, the fourth caller through. We'll get two tickets to Winstock this Friday night, 780-6868. Jeff Forche is standing by to get your name and number and give you arrangements and, and tell you how you can attend on a Friday night. Uh, how many bands are we talking about, Al? We've got uh, five bands, four are competing, and we have a, a warm-up uh, a cappella group that uh, that are coming on, which is going to be something completely different for us, but we're we're really excited. It's an all-female a cappella band. 
That'll be a, a lot of fun, and we're going to go uh, till the wee hours, I suppose. Margie, do you have do you do have any fun at this event? Oh well, we're going to have a lot of fun this year because we've got some really great auctioneers coming in. Oh, really? I hadn't heard somebody about that. by the name of Grant. You are speaking to him, uh-huh. and uh, Richard Cloutier. Anyways, uh, we've got some great live auction items. We got awesome silent auction, rainbow. And um, we have a lot of our clients who are going to be there volunteering as well. So we'd love for you to come out and meet us and say hello. Well, lots of people interested in coming. The phone lines are jammed. If you haven't got through now, I don't think you're going to be the fourth caller through, but we'll have more tickets to give away as we make our way through the week. And, of course, Alan, if people want to get tickets, uh, how do they get them? Well, they can go online if they're so inclined with com- this fancy new internet thing. I'm not sure it's it's going to catch on. <laughs> I, but, uh, right. stay oh, on. I hate to tell you, <laughs> it's uh, the the uh, website is uh, winstock.ca. That's win with two n's and the word stock.ca. You can order online or you can call uh, call the movement center. They've got some tickets ex- extra tickets four eight nine twenty six seventy nine. Margie Nelson, thank you for this. Thanks for sharing your story. Alan Jacks, thank you for what you do for Winnipeg and for this event. I'm looking forward to to seeing you on Friday night. Thanks, Greg. And thank you, you so great. much. <laughs> 227 on 680 CJOB. Global News is up next. It is 2.33 on this Tuesday afternoon. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for spending some time with us today. I know a lot of you we're a little worked up in our first hour, and including ourselves at time. And uh, we also had a visit with uh, Holly Bosman, our former colleague here at Chorus uh, Radio. It was suggested to us, and we, of course, did reach out to Winnipeg Police to get their side of the story that Holly was sharing with us in her own words. And I think it's important, Brett, that we outline that. That, that is her version of a story she came public with on Twitter When she did that, I invited her to come on the air and share her story. She did that. We've shared some opinions. We've shared your opinions on it. And Winnipeg police have gotten back to us with their statement on the situation. And in case you missed the conversation earlier, she says, she claims that yesterday afternoon she was driving southbound on Dunkirk and she turned left onto Furmore. So she's now heading eastbound on Furmore, at which point there was an emergency vehicle coming up behind her and she had in order to get out of the way she i think had to back up so that she could then turn on to Killarney which is sort of in the vicinity of the Y uh, if you're familiar with that area Killarney is a you can't turn right during rush hour so she says there was a police officer waiting to ticket her and would not hear any of her story so we reached out to to the police they got back to us quickly and they said as we sort of suggested that we probably wouldn't end up speaking to them because Holly says, I'm going to take this to court. So because it's going to be a matter before the courts, the police will not comment on it directly. But they did tell us that their version of the events that transpired are different than Holly's. So we thank the police for getting back to us so quickly. They were they, the turnaround. They actually phoned my cell phone while I was reading the 2 o'clock news. I thought, that looks like a police phone number. So I went and ran out and talked to them while Greg introduced our chat on Windstock. And I spoke with uh, Traffic Sergeant uh, Rob Riffle, who said, we can't comment on it directly, but the truth is somewhere in the middle. So we'll leave it at that for Fair now. enough. And uh, we just never, ever want to discourage you from sharing your stories with us, right? And the bottom line is, that's what we're here for. 
to help you bring your concerns to the foray, to the front, and allow you your voice. And we think we allow that very well. We gave Holly her voice. We've given Winnipeg uh, Police Department their voice on this topic. And we're going to move on on a topic that and a subject that's uh, very close to uh, my heart, something that I feel that we need to do a little bit more of as a community, but something that at the very same time, I think we're doing a much better job of, and that's bringing awareness to depression. And uh, joining us in the studio from Mood Disorders of Manitoba is Griffin Jenkins. Griffin is responsible for the Manitoba uh, Mood Disorders, or or, or MDAM, Mm -hmm. uh, Education and Youth Programming. So talk a little bit about Griffin and talk about how Griffin got working with MDAM. Yeah, of course. Uh, Well, thanks for having me. And uh, so I've been involved with the organization for about four years now, um, working full time for just over a year. And I first got involved with them when um, I was 14 and I was personally dealing with mental health issues. And uh, through that, my dad heard what he called um, as the radio ad for band camp for Moody Kids. And (laughs) exactly. Um, So so that was his words? That that was his words of what he heard on the radio. (laughs) Okay. Okay. and he said, would you like to go? And I played some guitar, and I was like, you know what? I'm a moody kid, so why not? So through there, I got to go to a band camp that I now run and in completely in charge of. And I got to meet a lot of great people and got to learn a lot of coping mechanisms. And through there, I began to volunteer and go to support groups with the organization. And through that, about four years ago, I started doing presentations in high schools and providing peer support in a volunteer capacity. And through that, it's grown into this wonderful job that I get to do every day now. Yeah. How about that, right? A, a, a father, your dad, who was aware of where you were at, mm-hmm. came to you and as opposed to turning it into something dramatic, said, hey, this might be something that might work for you. Wasn't there. I'm summarizing very succinctly. But the idea that your dad was aware of what you were going through and gave you a suggestion and the fact that there was a program available for mm-hmm. you to direct your energy and get some support is obviously critical and a huge part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, at that point in my in my mental health journey, my, my family were really supportive and really helpful for me trying to get uh, through the recovery process. So I'm really thankful for them. So it was there a moment or maybe not a moment, but a time of your, your life where, where this, you, you realized that something was not right? Absolutely. I, for me, um, I noticed it was June of grade seven. So I was a little 12 year old and I could feel it. I was in a, a little grade seven relationship and everything. And uh, when that ended, there's a lot of things that kind of hit me and uh, a lot of things I've been I'd been hiding throughout my life that were affecting me. And it was that summer where I could really tell this is this is not okay, this is not healthy. And um, I, that was when I first started to experience depression, started to go through the emotions and things like that. And from there, it was about uh, four years of feeling like that before I was starting to kind of work my way up and start to feel better. But uh, it was definitely at that point between the ages of 12 to 14 that was probably at its worst. Now, your parents got divorced right around then. Am I, am I correct? Uh, my parents got divorced when I was younger. But, uh, yeah, they, um, there was other issues going on at the time. But they, uh, they wound up coming together and actually um, setting aside differences to kind of help me out through the times. So, Griffin, I, I apologize for, for being lighthearted with, the, you know, your conversation with your dad and him pointing down this road. And uh, how did you get to that point from where you were dealing and struggling with 
according to your own words, you know, suicide was on your mind every day. How do you get to a point like that to where your dad is cracking wise and leading you to this support group and this band camp for, as he called it, for moody kids? How do, how do you bridge that gap? How do you get from something so serious to where you can talk about it in that in that sense and in that frame of mind? Yeah, so for, for my case, um, I was someone who... Through grade eight, I had attempted suicide twice, and self-harm was a big thing for me, and it took my mom and my family noticing that I was self-harming and starting to get into the process of seeing therapists, finding people that I liked, and then going through counseling and just talking about it more. Like My family was very open about discussing what was going on in my life, almost to the point where it became a joke, like, hey, how are you doing today? Like, I know you, you went and everything, and over-talking about it. Um, but it it really worked just having the support there. Eventually, as time went on, we were able to be comfortable with just the idea that this is something I'm dealing with. I understand that. And I had to, for myself, want to get better. And I wanted those avenues and I didn't want it to be super dark and super serious all the time going through recovery. I wanted to have some kind of hope out there. And then when we changed the conversations from these dark topics to, Hey, let's go see these moody kids and stuff like that. Then I was starting to say, hey, maybe, you know what, things will get better. And I started to have a little bit of fun throughout the process. Griffin, you, in terms of the self-harm that you would go through, uh, not, the, the, not the, the, the suicide attempts, but the self-harm, what uh, were you doing to yourself and what, what was the, that providing you with? So for me, um, I, just, I just need to inflict some kind of pain on myself. Uh, there's... Ways that people do it, they're all different, and I had my own way of doing it. Um, But for me, what it gained was both a feeling, because for a lot of the period of time when I was dealing with these emotions, I felt numb, so I needed to have some kind of sense of feeling, as well as there'd be periods of time where I would be extremely stressed out and have this tension building and building and building, and I need some way to release it. And um, for me, self-harm was a way that I was able to release that tension. Um, And over time, I'm... I'm really happy that I was able to kind of deal with that issue earlier on than some of my other issues because I know many people who get addicted to self-harm and it becomes a really big thing. Even even when they start to feel um, mentally better, they still have this addiction to the self-harm because it is so stimulating to the body. So I'm glad that I didn't have to get to that point when I was able to kind of deal with it. You can actually get addicted to the self-harm? Absolutely. Uh, it's It happens to a lot of people who self-harm for a long period of time, especially when that becomes their main coping mechanism. It's the same thing with how um, people usually get started with alcoholism. That becomes their coping mechanism, and your brain gets hardwired that when you feel stressed or when you feel um, pain or hurt or anything like that, that's your automatic go-to. So for people with self-harm, it's the same kind of response, and then over time, your body builds up like, that's my only tool. So that's how people tend to get addicted to it. And of course, self-harm can take several forms. It can be physical, but it can also be emotional where you put yourself into situations where you are suffering for your vices and suffering for the illness that you deal with, right? Because it becomes part of a a, a pattern. How do you help people break that? So there's a lot of different theories about how to help people break it. For me, um, the strategy that I use a lot is there's a lot of little techniques that people can use that vary depending on how people self-harm, but it's all about uh, strategies that people can try 
when they feel like they need to self-harm, try this instead first. So that way you have some kind of other method. So there's uh, things like um, strategies like icing, where people will hold ice for a really long time if they feel numb to get that burning sensation. Uh, there's things like using a red Sharpie, because if you use a red Sharpie and draw lines, it kind of tricks your brain and seeing the red might, your brain tricks into seeing blood and things like that. And I, I don't want to interrupt you because are we sugarcoating it a little bit in terms of calling it self-harm? We're talking a lot of cases about cutting, right? And and other sorts of physical harm, you know. Uh, there are parents out there who are, uh, what, what are we talking about here? Maybe, I, I think maybe we should talk a little bit more about what these the specific types of things are because you're talking about using a red Sharpie to, what are you trying to mimic there? Well, so... There's some main ones like uh, there's like cutting's an obvious one, but there's lots of things like burning. Uh, that burning also, burning comes up a lot with a lot of people, but um, a lot of what we try and do is, especially when I talk to kids, is kids know how people self harm. Parents maybe sometimes get lost in it, but kids know ways to self harm and will find ways to self harm. So a lot of what we do is, especially when we're talking to kids, we don't need to teach them different ways that people self harm because there's a lot of strategies out there that. Maybe someone hasn't heard of yet, and if they're that's in that fair. state, that's they fair. look at that. So we like to talk about ways that people can prevent that at the same time. And, and that's fair, and that's fair. Um, and I guess parents, if you're concerned about this, they're... They're more than happy to contact us, and we can have those conversations, okay. absolutely. I, I, and I respect that. I, I think that's a, a good strategy uh, from our point of view as well. Griffin Jenkins is with the Mood Disorders of Manitoba. He is responsible for MDAM's education and youth programming and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the education uh, in his recent appointment to the youth advisory committee for the mental health commission of canada it is 246 your forecast is coming up next griffin Griffin. jenkins is our guest just as i talk over top of greg it's okay we said the same word at exactly the same time i was observing that griffin did the fist pump when he heard the uh, archer spot during the weather i love me some archer the archer's good archer's good see the things that we're learning from griffin today they're incalculable (laughs) he's got a great uh great tattoo on his left wrist it's a lightsaber and uh what does that signify for you just the fact that you're a a, a geek or is there some other significance to Uh, that tattoo where it is and and what it is so this one is a it's it's definitely a lightsaber because i'm a huge star wars nerd um, more particular to the other Star Wars nerds out there, it's an Obi Wan lightsaber. Oh, okay, of course, so specifically. It, it okay. is specifically Obi Wan. He's my favorite Jedi, and uh, it also it's also a best friend tattoo because my friend uh, Megan, she has a Harry Potter wand in essentially the same place on her other arm, and she's out in Nova Scotia for school. So that's one of our connections we'll always have. That's great. I love that. I love the symbolism of that. Uh, Griffin is here to talk about uh, education, the schools, and. He shares his story openly as he's done with us in this uh, first 20 minutes of this half hour and your recent appointment to the Youth Youth Advisory Committee for the Mental Health Commission of Canada. Congratulations on that. Thank you. What are you going to be talking about and and what are you bringing to the table of that commission? Um, So what I like to bring forward is A, my own story. So the experience that I have had both in the system, out of the system, and that whole sector section, as much as, as well as I work with kids all the time. That's part of my job. I see kids every day. I, I just finished doing my year-end stats, and I reached about 5,000 kids in the past year of just talking to them and things like that. So I think that I'm able to bring the message that they have and they're telling me, as well as the experience of just working with them hands-on to a national level, being able to say, hey, 
this is what's going on in Manitoba. This is what I see. This is what the people I'm meeting are saying. How can we make sure that what we do as a national thing also affects the kids here in Manitoba and how the messages and the programs that we're doing nationally are going to work here? And I think that I bring that with me and that knowledge and experience. That's kind of, that's really why I wanted to join this council. I thought it'd be a really good experience for that. Well, Griffin uh, Jenkins, by the way, is responsible. He works with the Mood Disorders of Manitoba. He's responsible for their education and youth programming. And one of the things that uh, you highlight as well is the importance of sports. Can you elaborate on that a little bit as to how it can help? Absolutely. So there's a a tagline in the mental health field that says uh, exercise is the best and most underused antidepressant out there, just the way that the endorphins affects the chemical aspect of mood disorders and mental health and issues like that. So for me, you guys can't really tell because I'm sitting down. I'm really tall. So for me, I saw how tall you were when you walked in. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a really tall guy. So when I was in high school, I played basketball because uh, clearly. And when <laughs> I was really dealing with depression, things like that, I quit. And I just I didn't have any passion towards it or anything like that. And a big part of my recovery wound up actually being getting back into basketball and going skating every day over winter with my friends and just getting the exercise as well as being in a community of people where I can talk to. And I don't necessarily need to talk about my issues every day with them, but just being able to be with friends and have that uh, community while we're doing something active was a really big help for me. So we really like to emphasize the aspect of exercise and sport and how that's really good for your mental health. And that's why uh, there's the Shoppers Love You Run uh, for women's mental health coming up. And it's the programs is looking great. There's a great mental health curriculum with it. And there's a great um, exercise curriculum being put on by the running room as well to kind of collaborate those two aspects and make the program work really well. Uh, being together and having a support system is critical, A, in discovering what you're dealing with. It's Absolutely. it's critical you come forward and speak to at least one other person. Mm-hmm. It's critical in your recovery and in your everyday management of your mental health, illness, whatever it might be. But just that camaraderie, it's more powerful than I think we realize. Absolutely. The the idea of, so I also played football and things like that, and the idea of brotherhood was a really big thing. And some there's a lot of negative stigma sometimes towards how teams work and things like that. But I think when you have a community of good people who are really close to each other and sharing this brotherhood um, or womanhood, whatever it is, it can be a fantastic way to kind of just grow together and have this community of people that care about you um, and being able to grow through that. And like I say, not I didn't always talk about my mental health issues with my football team, but when you know we had a rough practice or whatever or we had a rough game, we were all there for each other, and we didn't necessarily have to say like, hey, man, you know what, I'm here for you when things are really bad. You just get this feeling. It was I, implied, right? Exactly, and when you have these sports teams – Uh, No matter what sport it is, when you create these teams and these communities, I think that bond goes with it, and it's really important. Even if it's just a group of friends, having that same kind of bond is really important to the the recovery process. Griffin, uh, you're 20 years old now. I think you said you were 12 years old when you first started to to realize that Mm -hmm. uh, something was not right. Do you still deal with depression issues? Absolutely. I, I believe that the diagnosis that I have might be with me for the rest of my life. And I'm okay with that. However, I like to say I'm about 85% symptom-free. And even when I have days where I don't feel great, the depression's really getting me. I know what coping mechanisms to use to get through the day. I have my family and my partner and the friends around me that I can go to and say, you know what, 
today really sucks. Like, I, I need some help today. Can you guys help me through it? And the community that I've built around me is really supportive. And I think they're one of the biggest reasons why I was able to get to this point of 85% um, recovered. Is there anything worse than suffering in silence? I don't know if there is. It's the biggest thing with mental health issues is the isolation aspect. And when you don't have the people around you, it becomes really hard. So the idea of being able to create these bonds at a young age, which is what I really try and teach these kids, is create the bonds, create the friendships that really matter as early as you can and then grow with them and become this community together. I think that's really important. Griffin, how do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you? So they can call the Mood Disorders Association at 204-786-0987 and then ask for Griffin. Griffin Jenkins is responsible for the Mood Disorders of Manitoba's education and youth programming and has also been appointed to the Youth Advisory Committee for the Mental Health Commission of Canada. 257 Global News up next. 308 Tuesday afternoon. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. We want to congratulate Sylvia Holloway. She was our winner. She's going to win stock on Friday night at Cowboys Windsor Park Inn in support of the Movement Centre. An outstanding event. You can still get tickets if you'd like to do so. Just Google Winstock, W-I-N-N-S-T-O-C-K, and you can get tickets uh, for that. Battle of the Bands competition. There'll be hundreds of people, up to 700 people in that room. It's a great place to do a celebration. And we had a traffic tip as well, did we not? Brett, Did you? I guess we've uh, been doing traffic now. Uh, at the top of the hour, but there were lights out in a very bad place. Well, the lights were out at Waverly and Victor Lewis, but the lights are now okay. uh, working. As, very good. Uh, that, texter, that text just came in 90 seconds ago. I don't feel bad because I was in the newsroom having chips. There's ketchup chips in the newsroom while you were reading your news. Well, they're very strategic with the way they do it. And, uh, and uh, Julie is a smart uh, cookie, Julie Buckingham. What she does is she goes and gets the bag of chips and then she leaves it sitting beside her desk until we come in here because she knows that if the bag is opened while I am still in the newsroom, mm-hmm. I will devour half of the bag. So <laughs> Julie's smart and it actually prevents or saves me from myself. This morning we got a communique. I love communique, one of my favorite uh, French words that's also an English word. Uh, Mayor Brian Bowman and Enver Nadu, Winnipeg Past Managing Director, will be presenting and taking part in the official launch of the Winnipeg City Pass. That was today at 2 p.m., Travel Manitoba Visitor Centre at the Forks Market. On the phone now we have Enver Nadu. Enver, thank you for taking some time with us today. Thank you very much for having me. So, what is Winnipeg City Pass? So, Winnipeg City Pass it's, uh, uh, includes admission to uh, eight different attractions in the city. And uh, the savings both into the pass as well as admission. of, um, And so, it makes it really easy for both visitors as well as locals to be able to explore more of the city. What are the eight different attractions? So, we've got uh, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, Manitoba Museum, Fort White Alive, the Royal Canadian Mint, Mason Gabriel Roy, Winnipeg Art Gallery, Winnipeg Railway Museum, and the Dalnavat Museum, all included uh, for one low price. Fantastic. And this is an effort to not only encourage locals to explore some of these great locations, these great tourist sort of oriented uh, attractions, but also to give tourists an, an option to be able to go and see all these things at one great price. 
Absolutely. You know, we, we want to make sure we try and uh, uh, encourage more local ambassadors to explore their city. But it, this is a great way to help uh, visitors either extend their stay or in their pre-planning phase of coming to Winnipeg uh, with the 2017 Canada Summer Games. Uh, we can use this pass to enhance the visitor experience but make it easier for them to not only come for the games, but also, you know, explore a little bit more of this great city. Well, and uh, there's something that you described that you said with 20,000 visitors coming to Winnipeg for the games, we should have 20,000 new Winnipeg ambassadors leave. Absolutely. I think that's a really exciting opportunity. Uh, you know, we, we want to ensure that uh, when these visitors come, that they have a positive experience of Winnipeg. And they, you know, they think of Winnipeg as a world-class destination with year-round world-class experiences. And the Winnipeg City Pass is one tool uh, that will help us do that. What is the challenge of, of getting that message out there and allowing people to become ambassadors, whether they were born here or they just visited here for 48 hours or a week? How do, how do we convert those people uh, from, from consumers to evangelists? That's a great question. I think, you know, it starts off with in just doing one thing, uh, you know, whether it be picking up the Winnipeg City Pass and exploring all eight uh, attractions or just getting out and going to one new place that you haven't uh, been to before. Uh, we have a lot of uh, incredible experiences in the city, and some of them may have changed over the years. So even if somebody has been to an attraction or an experience, uh, consider going back. Uh, there, there may be some new surprises, some new exciting surprises uh, in store. Well, that's an interesting way to put it uh, because I remember going to the Manitoba Museum with my friends and their kids, I don't know, I want to say three or four years ago, and I hadn't been since I was a kid. So everything, while it was familiar, it all looked brand new because I was seeing it from the perspective of an adult and not a kid. Absolutely, you know, and uh, I think in addition to the Manitoba Museum, there's a lot of attractions uh, like Fort White Alive that has new programming, like the Bison Safari, that many people, locals and visitors, aren't aware of. Uh, so a lot of exciting things that are happening, and we want to use the Winnipeg City Pass as a, as a way to promote uh, the attractions that's included in the pass, but also we want to use it as a, as a way to promote uh, attractions that are not included in the pass. So there's a lot of free uh, events and activities that's happening in the city, and we recognize that if visitors or locals are looking for something to do, uh, let's use this as a, as a tool to promote uh, the entire city. And were there any companion programs? Are there any, uh, uh, is there a website that, that we can go to to explore the, the Winnipeg City Pass? So uh, the website, it's winnipegpass.com. Uh, we have the passes selling online, but we also have it selling at the Travel Manitoba's Visitor Centre, as well as hotels and other locations across the city, making it really easy for uh, somebody to get their hands on a pass. How much is it, Enver? We've got uh, three different versions. Our one-day pass starts at $35 for adults and $25 for children, and that's 3 to 17 years of age. We've got a three-day pass starting at $45 for adults, $35 for children, and a five-day pass, $56 for adults, $39 for children. And the savings uh, is generally up to 53%, so the more you visit, the more you save. Enver, what is... Your motivation for doing this, why are you so passionate about Winnipeg? You know, that's a, a question that uh, I've been asked a lot today uh, as we officially launched the Winnipeg City Pass. And I'm not originally from Winnipeg. Uh, my wife and I, we moved here 
we see the city through fresh new eyes and we are amazed at just all of this incredible, um, not only attractions and experiences, but just incredible stories that's, uh, that's in the city. And I think of the Winnipeg Railway Museum, uh, central location, landmark uh, building, um, you know, run by passionate volunteers. And we know that rail is an important part of Winnipeg and Manitoba's history. And that's a story worth championing. So we want to use the Winnipeg City Pass as a way uh, to drive new visitation to all of these great attractions and experiences um, so that long-term these stories uh, continue you know, to be part of our lives. Where did you move here from, by the way, Enver? We we moved from Ontario, um, but I've lived in a few different countries and, and cities, and I, I've seen this Winnipeg, uh, or I've seen the, the past program uh, in the U.S. as well as in Europe. So most major cities around the world have a past program uh, similar to this and, you know, really excited to bring this to Winnipeg. Arts, culture, heritage, iconic attractions and leisure experiences. It's the Winnipeg City Pass. And Enver, thank you for sharing uh, this exciting announcement with us this afternoon. We much appreciate it. And uh, congratulations on this. This is long overdue in my estimation. How long has it been since you first conceived this to now launching it? I've been very fortunate that, you know, Mayor Bowman envisioned the need for something like this uh, in the city. And, you know, uh, we've received some incredible support from the industry and stakeholders. Uh, So it has been a journey, but, you know, I think the hard work begins today. We've got this great tool and it's time to use it to to grow market share for for all of Winnipeg. Enver Nadeau, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Enver is the creator of the Winnipeg Pass, Winnipeg City Pass, and he is the managing director. And we'll have more on the Winnipeg City Pass on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham later this afternoon. Traffic and Weather Together is up next. we got stuff to give away. Thursday, April 6th. Nashville's that's this Thursday. I know sneaks up on you, right? It does. All of a sudden, it's the uh, first week of April. The sixth is coming up, and I think a week Friday is Good Friday. Oh yes, you are correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that anybody's counting down to a day off or anything like that. <laughs> no, no. Why would you? Why would we? Nashville's Canadians Transcona. Age of Electric on Thursday. <laughs> so today's skill testing. Trivia question, which Big Shiny Tunes album featured Age of Electric and which song? 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Which Big Shiny Tunes album featured Age of Electric and which song? 204-780-6868. You know they released 14 of those albums? Big Shiny Tunes? Well, that's like one of those compilation albums, right? They were the successors to uh, Winnipeg's own KTEL. Yeah, that put together those. Was it much music yeah, that was, was involved in that? It was How much music. Work? Well, because much music, they had their dance mix for That's years, right? And then that eventually got morphed into much dance. And then they decided to, since Canadian rock was so popular in the mid to late nineties, they started this big shiny tunes craze, and it went for fourteen years. And then they, I think, eventually had big shiny nineties. So it went on for a long, long time. They should have had me produce those. I had the best Canadian rock song mixtapes. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Bar none. It always started with action from Street Heart. You know, they've got that long extended intro. 
You could have like three beers during the introduction alone. Well, you had mixtapes, plural, that started with the same song? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's the you best can't. That's the best launch song to any event. Action by Streetheart. 322. I'll school you later. You can't have the same song start yes, multiple tapes. you can. False. Traffic and weather. Sports all up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. Congratulations go to Jason Sutherland, who correctly answered our trivia question today for the age of electric. The question was, which big shiny tunes featured age of electric and which song? And the answer was Big Shiny Tunes 2, released in December of 1997, and the song was Remote Control. So congratulations to Jason, although, hang on, plot twist. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. He's just emailed me and says he doesn't think... He can make it down here in time to pick the pick up the tickets because the show is Thursday night, and he can't make them today, and he can't come tomorrow. So, I'll, we may have two pairs of tickets to give away tomorrow. I'll confirm with Jason, and we'll get back to you on that. In the meantime, we have a special guest in studio with us. We do. Is it like I sit beside you for four hours every morning, and now you got to come and invade my work space here, Tristan? What's going on? Well, I uh, received a uh, letter from a listener. Uh, it's, a, it's a great letter. And uh, Greg, you will remember this. And Brett, I'm sure you'll remember this too. Um, do you remember when a concerned listener sent you a note and yeah. gave you some coupons and some gift certificates for various things? Actually, the letter was for me. The coupons oh, was it for for, you? were for me so that I could take Brett out. Right. Yes. I heard from a concerned listener. He wrote me a letter. Oh, no. Dear Tristan... I read about the cruel prank that Brett played on your innocent desk. And for those of you who aren't familiar, (laughs) Brett basically encased my desk with paper because it's really, really funny. And he's got lots of time to spare on Saturdays, apparently. It was really, really funny. And for the record, it was brilliant. Sure. So so (laughs) our concerned listener goes on and says, I had been penning another letter to Greg, but hearing of your outrageous misfortune has stirred something deep inside of me. I now see that my sympathy for Brett was misplaced. Oh my, plot twist! Apparently he has plenty of time on his hands for mischief, much like the feral cat who clawed up my screen door. (laughs) If there was a facility taking in feral Bretts, I would direct you there. (laughs) Unless... Alas, there is a gap in our healthcare system, so instead I suggest you try uh, spritzing him with a water bottle when he aims to misbehave. Mm, That works. (laughs) Please know that our thoughts go out to you in these dark times. Take heart, sweet prince. Your time will come. I'm including a few items that I hope will give you comfort. He he finishes a concerned... How do you you know it's a he? Could be a she? He says a a concerned listener with an asterisk, and at the asterisk it says still satire. Love it. Uh, and you guys need, you need to help me out with this here. I think, are these Donkey Kong scratch cards? Like, what are these here exactly? <laughs> it says 1982 on the back, oh so that's my before God. my time. It's pretty cool. These might be worth like about $10,000 each. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm i unfamiliar with these. These, oh my goodness. Brett, these you might are, know that. These are Donkey Kong scratch cards. So imagine playing Donkey Kong, but you have to scratch uh, oh, okay. you, each step of your progress. And I suppose... Uh, you can choose, it's like a, you can choose your path. Mm-hmm. You so, can scratch them all, in which case you would probably inevitably be 
have something dropped upon you or sent back to the beginning, you have to pick the the right path. The right path. I see. I have. I. Well, these you are probably from have tops. to scratch a, a certain number of them well, in order yeah, you for have, it to because you have to because with Donkey Kong, for example, there. Let's say you're on the first platform, you can go up the first ladder or you can go up the second ladder. So you have to scratch each step you take. So do you, you remember these things? Yes. I used to play with these things when I was because the if they were from 1982, that would have made me five years old. This is unbelievable. It's very cool. This uh, listener has come through once again with yes, with indeed. a really thoughtful gift. May I, may I remind you that the cards are for Tristan. Sorry to. Yeah. I'm not the saying they're for me. Oh, okay. I'm just saying that's really thoughtful that well, this person has taken the time okay. to type up a letter. You and were send holding something. on to them like you were taking ownership. I was concerned. I didn't want to have to actually rip them out of your hand or squirt them with a water bottle just to. to I'm bigger sure than Tristan. Know. I'll just take them from him if I if he if I want. That's not very nice, Brett. You just proved this listener's point right here. It's well, my my loyalty to this listener is now shattered. Oh no, I'm, I'm not sad. I'm just saying, oh, I don't I don't care if who the who mm-hmm. the cards were directed to. I'll just take them if I want. Three forty three, Feral Brett. Mm-hmm. Three forty three on this Tuesday afternoon. Tristan Field Jones, producer. Uh, we're expecting some sort of short documentary from you one of these days. He delivers the news. He delivers sports. He's just deliverer of all good things. That's what I, I try to deliver when I can. Plain and simple. We've got traffic and weather together coming up next. The picture as to what happened in Syria overnight is starting to uh, come clearer. It's an absolute tragedy. We've got tragedy in our own backyard. Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham to my immediate left. Uh, they host the news and... What can you tell us the uh, latest? In, uh, We're still working hard to confirm the identity of the third victim uh, in the quite apparent murder-suicide out in East Selkirk. Uh, Global News' Sean Leslie and Keith McCullough are working on that story, as are our other Global News colleagues. The very latest coming up as it breaks here on 680 CJOB. And, Julie, that other story is, and something we've talked about before, is it appears on social media, and when we talked about it out of Chicago, it was one of those situations where we were wondering why nobody called the police. In this case, we have a local story where they did indeed call the authorities. It was really disturbing, the attack. Uh, Well, all attacks that are filmed often are. The one in Chicago was an apparent sexual assault that was streamed online, and as we mentioned, no one... No one called the police and we were just shocked and said that, you know, we hoped that if that was something that happened in our own backyard, that somebody would. And as Richard says, we do now have an incident where um, a horrific assault was broadcast online and someone did, in fact, recognize that it was happening in Winnipeg, called authorities and they were able to make some arrests and lay some significant charges. So is this the era that we're living in that are, are criminals that inept that they think that they're not going to get caught when they stream it on? Are they trying to get extra quote-unquote street cred? What is the reason for streaming these things? It's it's disturbing all the way around. Brazen in so many respects. And, uh, you know, there's the psychology of that, but at least we do have charges laid in this incident. And while it's a serious news day, we're also committed to having some fun on the news. And uh, another opportunity to win that I would suggest um, Primo tickets. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, tickets to see Miranda Lambert will be up for grabs, so you'll have to know a little bit about and one Julie's of the songs. And Julie's unique way of giving this away. Like, you know, she goes all out on this. Like, she's somebody that just spends the time thinking these things through, guys. 
have to know a little bit about the song that she performed at the not, not Academy to, of Country to, Music Awards. Not to dig anything or say no, anything about it. it's trivia-esque yeah. today. I know, I know yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't dare go there, Richard. So I, why would you think that we were even taking it as a shot at either Brett or I? Never. Miranda Lambert. I don't know anything about her. Was she, was she married to Blake Shelton? Correct. She was in that kind of love triangle, the yeah. Gwen Stefani thing. Okay. Well, she was there first. <laughs> she be, was there first. Just, just to be, be clear. clear. Just to be clear, she was the she was the wife first. So she, okay. Yes. Okay. She's a little firecracker. I saw her perform. She in didn't do anything Fargo. wrong. I, I'm not saying she didn't. I'm oh, just okay. saying she was married to him. You've first. seen her before? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. In Fargo, she opened up for Kenny Chesney. Where did you see her? At the Fargo Dome. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to know, because we have a way of saying Fargo. Like <laughs> Did it, I say it that way? No, oh. but some people do. Okay. And you didn't. You okay. said it like a pegger. So it was good. <laughs> and Fargo. Yes. Yeah, so uh, all of that coming up and uh, traffic tickets, big change to those and how they could arrive in a mailbox near you. How do you feel about Looking that? at you. Why are you looking at me? You just look the type. I'm an excellent driver and a good parker. (laughs) So I'm not a pig parker and I don't. I don't want to know about your parking habits. No, 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 no. (laughs) What do you think about that? That idea of of sending me a a ticket in the mail for bad parking? Um, I don't know. Have I put you in a bad position by commenting on this? No, I, I just think that, you know, when you come out and you see the ticket on your car, you're like, ah, rats. Or thereabouts. And then this way you'll just get into your car and be oblivious until it arrives in the mail. So I guess it's sort of similar to getting a photo radar ticket. Oh, it's very similar. Yeah. So just it's a like, different type of infraction. It's the, the gift that keeps on giving in your mailbox, I guess. Well, I think it just highlights how desperate the city of Winnipeg is for revenue. But they're or, going to or that measures. many. But conversely, if there's nobody parked in these zones, they can't issue the tickets. But you know what? Typically, before we had uh, a, a you know high rate of seatbelt tickets, there was an education campaign. When they brought in the photo radar, wasn't it an entire year before they delivered? I understand, yeah. but you, you know, usually when these sorts of things come out, it's. We've been trying hard to enforce this. We have statistics that show us that this is a huge problem. It must be stopped. People are not responding to our pleas to not park in fire zones, to not park in the fire lane or the uh, handicap parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, now we're just going straight to we're going to mail well, you a three hundred dollar ticket. We got a we got a one month grace period. One, we did? Yeah, it's it's the the one month grace period is on right now. They'll start issuing the tickets May the first. Oh, okay. And if, talk to the drivers that are get stuck behind an illegally parked car on St. Mary's Road or on Osborne Street during Tow rush them. hour. Tow them. Tow them. Don't take, take don't take it. Don't Tow. take their don't take their picture. Tow their car. And I want immediate justice. I don't want this waning justice that happens sometime in the future. Now. Well, now, they should. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that they shouldn't ticket and tow, but at this point, it doesn't park, happen. If you're parked in a handicap zone, don't take a picture and send me a ticket. Phone a tow truck. Get them out of there. Done. Greg Mackling for mayor. Ladies and gentlemen. Julie Buckingham, thank you so much. Richard Cloutier has already fled the scene here. <laughs> he uh, knew what was coming. 
I don't know. I, maybe he was waiting for me to retaliate in some way about his uh, subtle dig about our, our the way that we give away our tickets. I'm perfectly content with the way we give away our tickets. So, yeah, it, it, and it provides a different flavor. You know, when you listen to Mackling and McGarry, you're going to get some form of trivia, often crappy trivia, mm-hmm. as uh, we haven't done the crappy trivia in a while. But. I feel very confident that the tickets get into the hands of those that they're intended for, and those are fans of the bands or whatever entertainment event we are giving tickets away to. Fair to say? I think so. Mm-hmm. At least I hope so. You don't have to be a researchologist. <laughs> yeah, or a, a Google Meister yes. or master. Someone who's a black belt in Google Foo. <laughs> Google Foo, is that a thing? I, I like to think it is. I'm pretty good at Google Foo. Yeah. Far better at Google Foo than Kung Foo. That's for sure. That's a, pretty much all the time we have for today. So Lots Jeff Forte, Master thank Control, thank for you. That. For what? That I'm... That, that we're out of time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I think Greg is one of those people. He's already getting up to leave. So I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon on 680 CJOB. The news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham is up next.